while. And uh, you've been progressing and learning at uh, your own pace. Uh, so it's nice to see that. It's nice to see, be able to see that you're all progressing uh, very nicely. Uh, and uh, the more you progress, the more you actually are telling me about uh, your understanding, your, um, um, your wisdom unfolding. So I found a couple of things that, uh, that is uh, common to uh, uh, the people I talked with uh, this week. Uh, it's uh, the Chan practice. Uh, this part where we do a Dharma talk is very, very important to us. This is what differentiates us from a lot of Chan classes, a lot of Chan uh, teachers. It is very Dharma talk here, where it's instructional talks, where please keep in mind that you have a chance to ask questions live, whatever bothers you, whatever you don't understand in your practice, in your spiritual practice, uh, or about Chan, about Buddhism and so forth, feel free to ask them because uh, uh, let me remind you, when I was practicing Chan myself, I didn't have that chance. I had a lot of questions. The more I sat, the more questions I had, and I couldn't really find anyone to give me answers at all, straight answers. Uh, everyone's beating around a bush and, and uh, too worried about losing face and coming across as a incompetent and not being able to answer your questions, then trying to learn from you and trying to learn together. This is what it's about. Uh, I'm learning from you, from your questions, from your experiences, from your problems, challenges, and you're learning from me, from my, uh, from my uh, experience in teaching. And, um, and hopefully, with uh, my uh, uh, little bit of wisdom in, in the, through the Chan practice. Uh, so please keep it in mind, okay? Ask questions in those, don't be afraid, okay? Mm-hmm. I don't think that your level is too low and therefore uh, your questions don't make sense. Uh, actually, uh, at all levels, you should feel free to ask because we're learning from each other. The high levels can learn from the low levels and vice versa. The low levels can learn from the, how the people made it to high levels, uh, clearly. Go ahead, Jane Howe. Thank you, Master. Uh, I have one question regarding following the evening ceremony at home. Um, because now um, the temple um, put an evening ceremony on Zoom. And part of the evening ceremony, there's a small session, is uh, the Meng Shan. And some of the disciples said, uh, don't read Meng Shan at home, because uh, uh, you may get into trouble. But if we follow this as part of uh, the temple ceremony, please advise uh, if we can do that at home. I mean, just uh, reciting the ceremony, for example, one of the venables and uh, leading the ceremony at the temple, uh, will we get into trouble if we reciting along on Zoom? Okay, good question. 
doing the ceremony at home and following the ceremony online is actually a good uh, form of spiritual practice. Uh, actually, it's very helpful. If you can find a time and opportunity, please feel free to do that. That's uh, complementary to the your Chan practice. Uh, so don't be afraid if you are, are not anti-Buddhist uh, ceremonies. Now, in part of the evening ceremony, there is a mengshan or uh, actually a bodhisattva that part of the ceremony was designed, was uh, created by a bodhisattva who saw how the hungry ghost was suffering when he was traveling and it came around evening time. He, he saw how the ghost, hungry, the ghost was so hungry, scurrying around, suffering so much. So he decided to uh, do something to help him. And he created something called the mengshan. And that's, uh, that's uh, the ceremony to feed the ghosts. Okay? And after that, we adopted it. The Buddhists adopted it out of compassion to help feed the ghosts. And wherever our temples were, uh, we would feed the ghosts. And the objective in doing that is not only out of compassion, but also uh, to help stabilize the area. The hungry ghosts are hungry, and therefore they get mischievous and get very, uh, well, they, they create a lot of troubles. When they, uh, they're fed regularly, then they uh, behave and they're not as um, mischievous uh, in the neighborhood. So that's why when we do that, it's not only for our temples because our temple has hungry ghosts here as well, okay? And they, uh, we, the process is such that we can feed infinitely many, many ghosts. So some will come and then they will tell their friends and their acquaintances and word gets around and more and more keep on coming. And our process is such that we can feed a lot, a lot of them, okay? And what happened is that it helps the temple and the neighborhood and the our sphere influence, if you will, okay? And it becomes expected part of our work, meaning that every evening around that time, the hungry ghost would expect to be fed, okay? to be given food and drink. And so if we stop doing that, the hungry ghosts get pretty upset. They get hungry, and more or less I said, what about me? <laughs> and and um, many of them, quite a few of them would misbehave. That's why they're hungry ghosts. That's expected, okay? You play with fire, you can get burned. That's how it is. We help uh, these uh, hungry ghosts. Uh, some of them don't appreciate it. They just take it for granted. And therefore, uh, we expect that to happen. However, at the same time, when they misbehave, they know that they can't do much to us, okay? And so therefore, and that's part of the learning process is that, uh, is that uh, they, uh, they are better off by behaving uh, and it spreads to not only at the temple, but outside of the temple as well.
Okay, so when you reside in that, uh, it's very important. These um, ceremonies, and the most important thing is are people like me, okay, who are in charge of this process. Uh, the abbots, in particular, are responsible, are um, are um, accountable for how the ghosts, the hungry ghosts, will behave themselves. So. If uh, they behave, then the abbot will uh, uh, reward them accordingly. If they misbehave, then they have to deal with the abbot themselves. Okay, so you only recite along. You don't. You really don't have direct, uh, direct. Um, you don't have any direct effects on them at all. Uh, when you recite along with us, you are developing your heart of compassion. You're creating blessings for yourself, and you're building your samadhi power at all, as a matter of, uh, as well, as a matter of fact. And therefore, your participation is very beneficial for you, but actually provides no harm, uh, provided that you don't try to feed them yourself at home. Okay, it works fine, but the hungry ghost, the nature of the hungry ghost, is that they are uncontrollable. Okay, quite a few of them are uncontrollable. They don't listen to reason. So sometimes uh, they have to be um, kind of talked to, hmm? kind of tame a little bit, subdued a little bit. Okay, and that's uh, normal. Well, that's who they are. Okay, uh, so uh, so the short answer is no. You should have. You have nothing to worry about. Hmm? It's very beneficial for you. But do not try to do it by yourself at home. Okay, we only feed it here, and uh, and uh, 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 and that's all. Okay. All right. Thank you for the question. Chuho, next. Thank you, Master. I have a question on what you taught uh, in the passage to liberation in one of the lectures last weekend. You mentioned the difference between Venerable Master Chenghua and uh, Master Xuanhua, in that uh, Master Chenghua was very, very kind to his disciples, whereas Master Xuanhua was sometimes uh, mean to his disciples. And then you said uh, Venerable Master Chenghua was kind of uh, not that liberated from suffering. I I couldn't understand that. Could you please elaborate a little more on that? Uh, the names uh, confuse me. Uh, I hear only one name, Master Xuanhua, Master Xuanhua, Master Xuanhua. So, <laughs> uh, is, that, is that my hearing? Huh? No? Okay. Could you repeat the question, please? It yeah. sounds important. <laughs> yes. Yes. The difference between Master Xuanhua and uh, uh, another Korean monk, enlightened monk, Venerable Master Chunghua. Chunghua. Yeah, Chunghua. Okay, okay. Then passed away. Yes. Okay, what's the difference again? The difference was that, uh, according to you, uh, Master Chunghua was very kind to his disciples. That's a Tunghua who is very kind to his disciples. Yes? Yeah. Okay. Whereas Master You sound Xinhua. like Master Xinhua is kind to his disciple. 
Personally, I don't feel humankind at all as a, as a master. <laughs> okay, so uh, it's a sore point with me. I think I'll never recover from that. It's a scar for life. Anyway, so Master Chung Hua is very kind to his disciples. Yes. And then you said uh, um, Master Chung Hua was not liberated from suffering. Master Chung Hua? understand this. Yeah. Was not liberated from suffering? Okay, yeah. yes. I couldn't understand this part. Okay. Uh, it's such an obscure point. I thought... I actually was surprised that no one asked me that question when I uh, was talking last week. I said, uh, so I gloss over it because I didn't want to talk about it. There are too many Koreans. I have too many Korean disciples, okay, who actually are very devoted, uh, uh, faithful followers of Master Chunghua, okay? And, uh, and so I don't want to offend them at all. I was hoping uh, that I would not offend them. Hmm. Okay, so I said he was not liberated from suffering is because um, this is along today's theme as well. Mm. Instinctively, mm. we, when we find suffering, all of us are conditioned to, what do we do? Avoid it. Find ways to avoid it. Okay? And that's our natural response. When we were kids, we, what did we do? We played, yeah? I let you play. Starting out, a child, I let you play. When you first started, I let you play, I leave you alone. You do whatever you please, okay? And you get older, uh, you begin to, uh, to, be, to learn to face suffering. And eventually, you learn to avoid suffering, yes? That's what we all learn to do. And when uh, you get a job, you first get a job, you're supposed to suffer. When you get, you get more seniority, then you get to choose what you can, when you can suffer, yes? You delegate more suffering to the juniors. Sounds familiar? So along our entire life, we run away from suffering. We avoid suffering, yes? It's all ingrained in us. You see, it's the prejudice we have. Yes, baby? Hmm? You agree? When it hurts too much, what do you do? You run away from it. Why? Why? Is it funny? It's a fact. Each and every one of us, yes or no, I'm like that. Okay? And it's because we have this fear of suffering. Because I'm not liberated from suffering yet. That's how we are wired, okay? We, especially smart people, educated people, they figure out a way to avoid suffering and seek pleasure. Yes? That's our lives, okay? And guess what? Uh, Master Chunghua, to me, uh, has the same reflex response, meaning that 
he is afraid of suffering. Okay? Meaning that he still has not ended, has not successfully dealt with his fear of suffering. It's a prejudice that unless someone points it out to him, he would not be able to address it. And this is, remember, this is why these Dharma talks is very important. You have to ask questions. Unless you ask questions, I will not talk about it. Your, pri- your, your, private, uh, uh, your privacy is, is uh, I highly respect your privacy. I don't look into your private life. I don't look, I don't dig into your problems and things you don't want to talk about. As your private life, that's fine. And this is, that's what happens to, to, to him as well. Why do I say he has not ended suffering? It's because he treated his disciples so well. They all are in awe of how compassionate, how kind he was. I talked to so many of them. I met so many of them. They all adored him. They idolized him. I asked them, all, all of them, they told me how wonderful a teacher Master Chunghua was. Master Chunghua was, for all of those of you who are not familiar with him, he's a second ground bodhisattva. That's a second level enlightenment. First, you get first ground. That's when you first become enlightened. Then you go to second ground, okay? Uh, that's a higher level. And Master Chunghua is second ground. And therefore, he still has still learning to deal with, uh, to get familiar with, with, the, um, with the landscape. So he doesn't, he still has these habit energies that he doesn't realize, okay? And again, this is why it doesn't matter what level you are, uh, you have these habit energies, you have these prejudices, these chẳng uh, jian, uh, uh, is there such a thing in Chinese? Okay, that, for example, you just don't like, uh, I don't know, cats. Anyone? You? Oh, you like cats. Uh, I like dogs. Okay, I like dogs, but I, I don't like cats that much until recently. Okay, <laughs> so you see, I have these prejudices to myself. I finally realized, wow, cats are so adorable. Ultimately, so there's no need to hate them anymore. So I don't hate cats anymore. I'm not afraid of cats anymore. You see, that's why I learned from you, okay? And that's the whole point. Master Chunghua, what happened is that he was teaching Pure Land Damador in Korea. And he was branded as an outcast because the Korean Sunims, the Korean monks and nuns, were convinced by their elders, Master Sung Cho and the other elders, uh, what's uh, the founder of uh, Sung Wang Sa, what's, uh, what's his name? Huh? Jonin or something? Founder, Jinul. Huh? Jinul. Jinul, yeah, yeah, something like that. Okay, uh, that there's a stupa of him on, in, in, in the ground, okay? Uh, those are high level were Master Chunghua, and they decided, you know, in order to train the disciples, they will teach them chant, son, 
Okay? Whereas Master Chunghua says, it's not working for so many of you. You should be reciting a Buddha's name instead. And what happened is that he, he, he advocated the Pure Land Amador in Korea at the time. Uh, he was branded as an outcast, and they pushed him to the side. And he only had a handful of disciples who were very devoted, who had some responses from reciting Buddha's name, from cultivating with him. Many of them reached uh, uh, sound hearer uh, status, meaning ahats, and, and uh, first and fourth stage ahats. Therefore, with those responses, they were uh, true believers in the reciting Buddha's name, Dhammador. Okay? And so what happened is so they cultivated on the side. Okay, uh, on on the uh, uh, and they were more like more or less outcasts. Okay, and uh, even branded as uh, uh, what's the word now? Deviant maybe. Okay, and uh, so they only cultivated together. And those disciples of his, I talked to, I talked to quite a few of them. They all are in love with him. They all adore him. No one said a bad word about him his disciples, okay? Whereas you talk to disciples of Master Shinhua, you talk to me, for example, uh, I'm not in love with him. I adore him, but I'm not in love with him. I find that he's a great master, but there are some things I don't like about him, okay? And I'm, I talk about it. Whereas all his disciples, Master Shinhua disciples, they're in awe of him. They idolize him. Okay? It's only because he treated them too well. Because he's afraid to lose them. You only treat people like that because you're afraid to lose them. That fear there is suffering. That's why I said he has not ended suffering yet, because he still fear, has his fear of this scar of being not accepted into the mainstream of Buddhism. Okay? Hmm. And he only had his disciples, his supporters, to sustain him, to help him. Okay? There's no need for that. I personally don't find it, don't find it necessary to hang on to the disciples. Disciples should come and go as they please. Because if it works for them, stick around. If it no longer works for them, they should move on to better, better teachers. Okay? There's no need to fear losing disciples, in my opinion. Okay? So he has not uh, dealt with his fear of alienating disciples. Sometimes you have to beat them up. You have, sometimes you have to be mean to them in order to teach them. Okay, that's a middle way. All right, thanks for the question. Next. About uh, 
Master Xuanhua's choice of uh, being mean or beating up uh, his disciples is his is that his deliberate choice? Is that his choice? Yeah, he deliberately did that in order to uh, give the students a better chance to of becoming enlightened. Oh, I hope so. I cannot answer for him, but the middle way is cannot be uh, only uh, being pleasant and kind and compassionate to students. Sometimes you have to be evil to your students as well. That's something that, uh, that Master Shenhua excels at. He can be very, very evil, at least to me. Whereas when I listen to his disciples, they idolize him as well. And they, and they said, uh, I said, uh, what's wrong? Anything that uh, you uh, can uh, uh, you remember about the great master? And they also idolize him. And I understand, I immediately understood that uh, he never taught them, uh, he never revealed to them the mean side. That's why they stick around. He revealed his evil side to me, and I, I, I love it. I hate it, but then I still love it. Okay? So, so, uh, so the one very simple answer is that he's not afraid to lose disciples. Okay, thank you. Next. Hungoyutubuola Thank you, Master, for giving this opportunity to ask my questions. Uh, last lecture, you mentioned about high-level samadhi um, cultivators are not get affected by precepts. Is that the reason? Uh, I'm curious about that reason. Is it because the purpose of precept is to grow, to advance? And the next thing is, I'd like to know what would be my level. And this is from Kim Hwashin. Who's Who is her? Who's that? Do I know this person? I'm very sorry. Uh, uh, I, uh, just like Master Z, I have a hard time uh, learning uh, Korean names. <laughs> Korean in general. <laughs> I'm worse than him. I can't remember names. So if you, you know, in the U.S., I'm sorry, it's so Americanized. In the U.S., we have something, Christian names, you know? Everyone is called James. So it's very easy. Hi, James. And you know, you cannot go wrong. 
If you don't remember people's name, is it James or Daniel or never Jesus? Jesus. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, okay. So, uh, first of all, let me give you the answer. I usually open these cans of worms and they get me in trouble anyway. So, but uh, I, I, uh, uh, I have a big mouth. I keep on talking and talking uh, until I, uh, I find myself having to backtrack and, and, uh, and, and publicly admit that I was wrong. Okay. Uh, but anyway, when I say that you, hopefully, I hope you find, and let me rephrase it, paraphrase it, I hope you find someone who can recognize your level, okay? Uh, because, uh, because I was, uh, I was lucky. I found uh, my teacher, uh, my Master Xinhua, one of the rare few teachers who could recognize people's levels. Mm. And, and uh, because as a teacher, uh, I feel that it's our job to help you improve. And therefore, in order to improve, we need to, to help you improve uh, by uh, recognizing where you are so that you, what kind of instruction you're going to have. Uh, and that's what's stopping you from making improvements. You see... Uh, going back to the statement I made earlier, people usually go to a place to meditate, and then when the sits over, they stand up and leave. And that's not meditation at all. The training of meditation is right now. The sit is only uh, uh, a small part of it. To me, in American Chan, this is the most important part of our training process, the Dharma talks. Because you sit like that for yourself for another 10 years, 20 years, 30, 40, 50 years, okay? It doesn't mean that you can make progress. That's the fallacy of, uh, of the Hidayana approach. They just sit and they grind it out, okay? If you do it right, you grind it out right, and, and there's some requirements there, uh, then you, can, you will be able to make progress up to a certain point. However, uh, based on, if you go back to the question that was asked me, uh, was asked uh, previously, uh, he asked about Master Chunghua, who, had, who, who, who was enlightened, but he has this prejudice, this fear of losing disciples. You see, this is why I don't want to talk about it until I'm forced to. Okay? Uh, he's afraid to lose disciples. That's why he treated them so well. They all are in awe of him. He's found nothing wrong with him. Okay? Uh, he's so kind and uh, took such good care of them that uh, they could not find any master who's better than that. Uh, okay? Who would take care of them, who would uh, uh, cater to their needs and their whims. Uh, to me, uh, that's wrong. It's the middle way. The middle way is sometimes you have to please them. Sometimes you have to uh, whack them. Sometimes you have to slap them. Okay? Uh, and that's the middle way of training. You, uh, otherwise, uh, the same thing applies to precepts. Precepts is, first of all, precepts are ingenious, 
that are incredibly, incredibly insightful to me. Because I learned a little bit about our precepts, I, I love it. I tell you, if I had time, I would, I would love to spend the rest of my life studying precepts. It's so fascinating. You know, I learn about people now by teaching and talking to you. You know, if I read precepts, I learn even more than that. Seriously. Because the precepts are designed to subdue your evil natures and nurture your good natures. That's how beautiful they are. Okay? So that's why when you first start out, okay, uh, what's stopping you are the evil side of you, meaning that you create offenses with your mouth, with your body, with your mind, that will get you in trouble before you have a chance to cultivate. So what you don't realize is when you come to the temple, we're helping you address those offenses and resolve those retributions. Otherwise, you wouldn't have a prayer of a chance. What happens is that you cultivate, you sit for an hour, you meditate for an hour, you create a lot of blessings for yourself. Okay? However, okay, assuming you're not creating an offenses during your sit, Okay. Uh, however, when you after you stand up and go back to your regular life, you're creating so many more offenses that there's a great imbalance every, every single day. You sit for an hour, okay? You create this so much goodness, and then, then you have go back to your normal life. You create this kind of offenses in your daily life. Because it's an imbalance, you slowly drown. You see that? The imbalance is so great for most of us. That's why we teach you about precepts. The precepts will help you bring this up. So this works beautifully for the Hinayana people because they avoid civilization. That's why they're creating fewer offenses. You see this process? They go into the mountains, hide in the valleys. They don't create offenses anymore. This is what happens every day for them. Can you see that? This is a good offense, the good karmas, this is the bad karmas here. That's how they progress. Okay? There are many, many people who didn't understand the process, so they went to the mountains, and what happened is that they don't understand the process, that's why eventually, even though they're in the wilderness, they're still creating offenses. That's why they're not making much progress at all. Okay? Or very slow. So the precepts, if you keep them purely, you have this kind of... of, of uh, of uh, advantage, where you're creating good karmas, greater blessings, and fewer offenses, that's why you progress a lot quicker. Is that clear? That's why when you first start out, we train you to keep precepts, okay? If you do that, then you're creating more, more good karmas, 
than bad karmas. That's how you're going to improve. So when you come to the temple, we help you create more good karmas and fewer bad karmas to the point where this is, will outweigh the bad karmas you create when you go out and go back to your regular life. That's one way to look at it. Okay, so in general, uh, when you're not enlightened yet, we teach you, it's very important, it's critical for you to keep precepts so that you're creating good karmas and avoid bad karmas. That's the only way for you to make progress. It's not sitting, folks. Sitting alone is not enough. You have to listen to the Dharma. Because the Dharma designed, these Dharma talks are designed to help you avoid making mistakes, avoid making offenses here. My right hand, my right arm is offenses. My left arm is good karma, the right hand is bad karma. I'm right-handed. That's why I do bad karma with my right hand. I, have, I do fewer good karma with my left hand. That's the difference. Got that? Okay? That's what happens to me. I do bad karma with my right hand because I'm right-handed. I use my left hand not as often, so my good karma are not created with less frequency. You see that? And that's the reason for this. Okay? And so these Dharma talks are designed to help you recognize the importance of creating uh, good karmas and avoiding creating serious offenses, such as killing. If you kill, that's a very serious offense. Okay? You're going to pay. And so, so that's why, that's why, uh, that's why uh, when you first start, we are supposed to help you, encourage you to create good karmas and avoid creating bad karmas, and that's precepts. So far, so good? If you're not enlightened yet, you have to keep precepts. After you enlighten, that's a different story. After you enlighten, it's different. After you enlighten, okay, uh, when uh, you break precepts, the higher level enlightened people are able to address it. Low level still don't quite know how to do it yet. Low level enlightenment, like, like Master Chunghua, high level meaning seven. To me, it's eight. Seven to me is still too low, okay? But eight to me now, they can begin to be taught more quickly. Below that, it's too low for them to catch up, okay? Uh, so uh, at high levels now, they understand how to resolve these offenses. Where low levels, they don't know how to, to resolve the offenses they are created. Meaning, if you're lucky, you find someone who's higher level, they can help you resolve the offenses that you're creating with your right hand, like me. Okay? Yeah. And that's how, 
that's, that's how uh, you can make progress, progress quicker. So at high levels then, uh, they are no longer bound by not making, breaking precepts. They will break precepts when necessary. And that is the middle way. The middle way is at low levels, and this, in this application, low levels, you're better off keeping precepts, okay? Because you need to get up there. But high levels is that in cases, it's okay to break precepts. It's called expedience. Okay? And that's Buddhism. Buddhism is not skewed towards only keeping precepts, okay? Uh, it's, it's necessary to keep precepts, so that, that's what we do as a norm. However, at times, okay, the advanced people, like the bodhisattvas, will, keep, will break precepts in their work, all right? That's why it's called the middle way. Otherwise, it's, uh, it's uh, Hinayana, they only keep precepts. They do not break precepts. The bodhisattvas will break precepts at times when necessary because they're able to handle uh, the uh, offenses. They're able to resolve the retributions where the Hinayana cannot really resolve the retribution from the offenses. All right? Is that clear? So that's why in Buddhism, mm, um, there's always plus and minuses. It's not always skewed towards only one side. The, the, uh, the, the demons, they skew towards doing evil things only. They don't know how to do good things. Okay? Hinayana is skewed towards doing good things and avoid the evil. Mahayana is uh, sometimes we're good, sometimes we're evil. Okay? Like my master, my master Shenhua, he's very good to his disciples. He's very evil towards me, personally. Okay? Lucky that he doesn't have to be evil that often because I deserve to be evil. Most of his disciples deserve to be treated well. How's that? Okay? That's an example right there. I saw it in my teacher. He's, his Students are his uh, his hung uh, disciples. Okay, are are adamant about keeping precepts. Okay, hmm. because he taught them, but they don't understand it yet. The middle way. That's why, you know, That's why most of them, especially Hinayana, the sound hearers level, I call the Hinayana, Mahayana, even. Low level of enlightenment, they still call them Hinayana, Mahayana, because they still have these Hinayana uh, habit energies that uh, are not, were not addressed by Masha Shenhua. Okay, so that's why they're very rigid. Okay, they, that's why their progress is very slow and they cannot handle the people with high potential. Did I answer the question? Okay. Master, 
this was actually, um, his name is Kim Hwa Jun. He was a Catholic before, and he's a young man who recently uh, came to our temple. Okay. So the young Catholic, sorry, uh, someone to send me his photo and his name. I try to uh, learn people's names. Huh? Okay. Any other questions? Okay, anyone has a joke? We Americans, when we don't have questions, we don't discuss things, we can joke around. <laughs> yes, sir, number five. Um, Master, you said uh, to keeping the, one of the main precepts is not killing. I want to ask you, I heard like there are some bugs in my home. I killed them. Is that considered an offense, killing offense? What kind of bugs? Spider. Spider? They're not bugs. Spiders are pests. They're not bugs. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, the distinction. Is it okay to kill pests? Or bugs, for that matter? No. Okay. Hmm. It's a special case. We try to avoid killing, if you will. Why do we try to avoid killing in Buddhism? Because killing creates uh, this vicious cycle that those that we kill will come back and try to kill us. Hmm. And that's what is, uh, is called obstruction in our cultivation. They will come and for no apparent reason, just want to harm us, want to kill us, shoot us, just like that. Okay? Uh, and the worldly people don't understand it, for example, that you're shot at because usually, I'm not saying 100% of the time, usually it's a karmic retribution because you harmed someone in the past. Now they have a chance, they will harm you, and you get harmed. Is that clear? So that's why the killing is that you're meditating, all of a sudden they come and shoot you. How, how are you supposed to make progress? How are you supposed to meditate if they don't allow you to? See, one of the major forms of obstruction you have in your medita meditation practice is pain. Yes? Pain is a form of retribution for your prior killing offenses. You cannot sit in full lotus. You cannot meditate because you are in pain or you are sick. Sickness is another form of retribution for your prior killing offenses. Okay? So that's why we avoid, if you know better, you avoid killing uh, the, the, the heavy-duty killing, such as killing of people, killing of the gods, those are we don't want to kill. Okay. Uh, but what about smaller uh, living beings such as pests and bugs? Okay. Mm, they're a different case. Mm. In general, uh, the 
we can't avoid it. Uh, they invade our homes, and our homes are our home, meaning we own, we have the right to defend our homes. So they come in, uh, whether they're, especially in California here, we have this nasty thing called termite. And every time, every now and then, every three years or so, or, or so, we need to kill them. We need to, uh, what is it called, uh, fumigate the house. Otherwise, they will eat up all our wood, okay? Uh, the house would uh, be destroyed. So as part of our property, we are, we are entitled to defend our property. And also it's called uh, common retribution, where uh, if we kill the termites, the termites, we fumigate them, and then someone will fly to our neighbor's house. <laughs> and, and now you see they destroy our neighbor's house, but we have part of it as sell ourselves. You understand? They fly over. They're perfectly happy with our house. But no, we have to chase them away. So now we owe our neighbor. And now the destruction not only comes from the, from the termites, but also from our neighbors. You see that? It's called common retribution. We affect each other. Call it climate change, whatever. Okay? It's one of the manifestations. Okay. Now, going back specifically to spiders. Spiders, I have a problem too. Uh, I uh, use spider sprays too. Otherwise, they multiply like crazy. Okay, I prefer not to. Uh, we taught to catch them and, and, and guess what? Throw them outside. If they go to a neighbor's house, what, guess what happens? The neighbors kill them? Yes? Whose fault is it? We partly to blame as well because we send them there. You see that? You look at the big picture, we kill them directly or you, you capture them and put it in Yumin's house, Yumin's apartment or her parents' apartment, her parents' house, and they get killed. It's our fault. We are part to blame as well. So what are we to do? It's not a whole lot we can do. So for us, we realize that uh, it's part, a normal part of our defending our domain, our territory, our property, and it's unavoidable for us. And so what we do in, in those of us, so some of us will go, like say, give them some rebirth blessings so that they can avoid the, the, the um, recycling back into a spider again. They could be reborn to a higher level of existence. That's how we make up for it, okay? So there in Buddhism, we know we're creating offenses, but we also have means to uh, attenuate or uh, benefit them in a way, okay? Thank you, Master. You're welcome. Yes, Sophia. Um, hi, Master. I was wondering, would eating meat be considered part of killing karma too? And the reason I'm asking this is because I'm the only vegetarian in my household at the moment. And right now I live with my parents, but they accept that I'm vegetarian and they encourage it. But at the end of the year, I might go back to China and my other relatives probably won't be as accepting and I really don't want to give 
a really bad reputation to Buddhism. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. So what's your question? Would eating meat be considered as killing karma? Not directly. Uh, killing is actually you are uh, doing the killing act or directly involved uh, 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 has a direct impact. For example, you kill someone or you ask someone to kill, encourage someone to kill. Be- the, the, the killing act happened because of you, okay, directly or indirectly, okay? But you didn't encourage them to kill the cattle, not directly, yes? You didn't direct, uh, directly tell them to kill the chicken. You know, that's what uh, they do in, in uh, China. You go back to China, when you eat chicken meat, you know, you know what they do. They pick a cup of chicken and they go, crack. Do you see that? Like this. And that's the meat you're eating. Okay. I just want to make it gross for her to think twice. There's <laughs> nothing wrong with you eating the vegetables next to the chicken. If you cannot avoid it, okay, uh, uh, that's the that's um, sometimes you can't help it because we live with others and sometimes they react uh, very negatively towards it and they actually would badmouth us and badmouth the Buddha and Buddhism and so forth. So uh, it's not good for them to do that. So sometimes we avoid it by uh, by uh, eating uh, a little bit, okay. Or and so forth. Uh, and so Buddhism will be a lot more flexible than you think. Don't be so intransigent, so radical where we are vegetarian and that's why I'd rather die than eat meat and so forth. I mean, that's not Buddhism. That's not the meat way. Okay? Mm. And, and so, so, no, the answer, short answer is no, is you're not directly involved in the killing karma. Uh, for example, when you take the five precepts, the killing precept there, uh, you are still allowed to eat meat, okay, or fish, or f- for that matter. And so, no, it's not, it's not a big deal, okay. Mm. Eating meat is uh, primarily for young people like you nowadays, is some health concerns, okay, and, uh, and the sort of... Uh, 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 good for your conscience because you feel some quite a few feel strongly about hurting others, okay, uh, and, uh, and and profiting from 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 the harm from harming others. So it's uh, very good for young people nowadays to go into that, okay. So no, I would not worry about it, okay. Uh, all right. Uh, again, uh, you know, vegetarian being vegetarian is a good thing. It's a it's a good thing, and sometimes uh, we we should be more flexible. I feel it's a middle way where where yes, we prefer to be vegetarian for whatever the reasons. If we can explain it to people, yes, and then they don't it doesn't bother them. Fine, be vegetarian. If not, then you know then it's okay uh, uh, to, uh, to eat, okay, in my opinion, okay. All right, yes, Jane, quickly. 
Uh, there's another question I just posted. This is from uh, several weeks ago. You talk about um, this, uh, the giving, uh, the increase of value that's uh, cited from uh, uh, the, the Buddha speaks the 42 chapters. And so um, I attached a list in the, the, the chat table. So basically the table includes Ahats and uh, Pratyaka Buddha. And then you jump to Buddha of three periods. And then the, the, the highest level is person without thoughts, without dwelling, without cultivation, and without accomplishments. Yes. So this table has no Bodhisattva. And, and I'm just curious, because when we usually uh, referring uh, Shakyamuni Buddha as the Buddha. So is it appropriate, I'm asking you, uh, what is the Buddha of three periods and uh, what is this uh, So if where uh, Shakyamuni Buddha will be in this table, Sakmunibu Buddha would be number 10. Okay, thank you. Easy question. Oh, God, that's the first one. <laughs> but, but there's no Bodhisattva on this table. It's not my fault. Why do you look at me like that? I just quoted this 42 section sutra. I didn't write it. Hey, how's, how, how about that for being defensive? <laughs> well, the Buddha decided not to bring up bodhisattvas, but let me tell you, okay? Uh, go back to that, uh, to that slide, that uh, table, okay? Pratyeka Buddha is nine, right? Actually, 10 should be bodhisattvas, and bodhisattvas should be 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and so forth. Okay? And then Buddha would be like, uh, I don't know, 20, and then 11 would become 21, 22, something like that. Okay? Because actually, bodhisattvas are... Uh, in between Pratyeka Buddha and the Buddha, three periods of time. Okay, but uh, Shakyamuni Buddha in this 42 section sutra decided not to bring up Bodhisattvas because maybe, maybe uh, this was directed at the Hinayana people, the sound hearers, the Hinayana disciples. That's why there's no need to bring up Bodhisattvas. Okay, I think it's probably the main reason for it. Okay, but it's true. It's good that you you ask. It's true that between Pratyeka Buddha and Buddha three periods of time, there's a lot more. Okay, going on, uh, uh, a lot of levels where actually they're very significant, not just uh, you know order increase and so forth. I would not. You know, this is this uh, table serves as a guideline. But it's not uh, it's not scientific in a way, because uh, because even with uh, let's say level number three there, 
okay, uh, and whatever we call the level number three, uh, whole five precepts. Uh, within that level number three, there's a wide variation as well, okay. Uh, some some people hold precepts are better than others, therefore they you create more blessings and and so forth. There are gradations even within one class, one category. All right, uh, but that's uh, that's uh, too detailed. It's not necessary to go to that level of details. Okay. Uh, so, Buddhas are all the same. I mean, you, you, you make an offering to the Buddha, they're all the same. I make offering to Shakyamuni Buddha, the same making an offering to Medicine Master Buddha, the same as Amitama Buddha, and so forth. Okay? Uh, but the Bodhisattvas are different. Okay? Bodhisattvas would be many, many more levels. All right? Because uh, there's different levels of Bodhisattvas. Uh, make a huge difference in your offerings. And finally, the last one uh, on the table, 11, is very difficult because these people are not Buddhas yet and, and they're very hard to find. You cannot find them. You make offerings to them, you cannot even tell. Okay? So you're lucky you only make once, offering to such a person once. All right. Hmm. All right. Thank you, everyone. We stop here today. Uh, see you next time. <laughs>